You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. Sure. So today we're going to be in Matthew 5, uh, 27 to 32. And so I want to have you stand with me if you're able today. Uh, so stand and, and we're going to read this this uh, passage of Scripture. We're going to start actually as we have started in the last two Sundays uh, with reading the intro to this amazing sermon by Jesus. And it starts actually in verses 1 through 12. So let me read this and you can follow along on the screen. It says this, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Skipping to verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the word of God. You can grab a seat. Let's pray. And then we'll jump into this text this morning. Jesus, we've come to you now three times already this morning, once at 9.15, maybe even earlier in our own time with you this morning, but again here in the gathering, we've come to you multiple times, and, and we come to you again asking you, Lord, that you will soften our hearts to your word. This is your word. We stand behind it. It is your authority, and I pray, Jesus, that we will honor it with our lives, that we will honor you by honoring your word. And I pray, Jesus, that you will affect change in us, that we will not just listen to this and, and then forget what we've heard, uh, but that we will practice it in our daily life uh, this day forward. And I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Well, uh, we are again uh, in the greatest sermon, as I've mentioned, preached by Jesus and And this morning's text, speaking of the law of adultery, is now the second of the commands Jesus hits in this amazing sermon. And again, he brings the new teaching to those sitting on the mount listening that this is not merely a retelling of the Ten Commandments, but a deepening of them. 
I just want to say I love the sovereign hand of God to have led me to this text months ago. I, I, I didn't decide last week to preach on this. I actually decided months ago to preach on this. And I love the sovereign hand of God when it comes to these things because of exactly what we're going through in our society today. See, the Bible is timeless in what it speaks on and confronts in the human heart. And there are not many topics as large as sexuality and sexual immorality and the desire for it in our culture today. It doesn't take long to see it around us. Last week we hit anger, and I'd wager that anger is actually a bigger topic uh, by far, but one that is easier to suppress because it is so common to us. It's so natural to become angry and to joke it off, yet it is there. Sex, on the other hand, is one you cannot ignore because the consequences of it are second to none, but yet we do. We do ignore it or at least try to lessen the sting of it. We say things like, I can handle this temptation. Looking at beautiful women or men doesn't affect me. It's not wrong to admire beauty. But the Bible says flee from unrighteous behavior. Flee from temptation. And in our text, cut it off or tear it out. In, in other words, don't linger around something that could harm you. It's a fair warning. It's actually a good warning. It's, it's a biblical warning. As a kid, I've got, uh, I'm not sure if you can see this. I've got it kind of hidden away. But I've, as a kid, you guys ever play with candles? Yes. Thank you for being honest. The answer is yes. All right. If you've never played with candle, you are amazing. But especially at weddings, right? Like weddings or, or a grad banquet or some kind of a banquet, there's a candle in the middle of the table and as a kid you're kind of like going through the candle, right? You've all done this before, like going through that, that flame and just kind of, it's pretty cool. And then you dare your friend to kind of just hold, I dare you, how long can you hold your hand above it? And then you just hold your hand and then you realize, okay, that's, that's getting warm, but I bet you I can go lower and you go lower, and you hold it, ah, and then it's, you can just feel that heat. Eventually, this candle, though little, the longer you linger around it, you will get burned. Adultery, the consequences of adultery are vast and will harm you and others the more you linger around it as well. It will eventually burn you. Adultery ends relationships, as we know. It destroys families. It destroys employment. It destroys reputation. It destroys trust. It destroys your Christian witness, as we've witnessed even in this last couple months of history, even last past years. We've seen pr like prominent Christian ministers, Christian leaders of organizations fall to adultery. It destroys your life of ministry. It has the potential to destroy your identity and frame you a new one. In the past, you were a faithful person. Now you are untrustworthy. And because of this, we hide the sexual sin within us. We suppress the truth and we live a lie, sometimes taking these lies to the grave. Which is in essence living for the life here rather than for the life and the kingdom that God has given you and, and promising you and, and offering you. See, one author calls sin a vandalism of shalom. 
a vandalism of shalom. This is not the way it was meant to be. Life is meant to be different. See, as I hit last week, sermons like this call us to repentance, call us to change. It's, it's a hard one to sit through because we know each one of us, if you look around, each one of us has dealt with this one way or another. And we'd be liars if we didn't. Every one of us, whether it be anger or adultery, we've gone through this. See, my prayer this morning and through this week is that your conscience, if you are one that has filled with the Holy Spirit, if you've been one that has, has been challenged by the goodness of Jesus Christ and you've confessed Jesus as Lord of your life and you have that indwelling Holy Spirit residing in you and you are one that is hiding, my prayer this morning is that your conscience will burn inside of you to the point you will no longer be able to hold it in that you will confess your sin. See, many of you, if not all, are aware of a movie called Sound of Freedom. This is lust and adultery gone wild by way of the sex trafficking of children. It is very easy to become angry at things done in this world, to cast judgment on evil, and rightfully so. But these types of movies, as well as the awakening of these types of texts in the scripture that we face today, ought to make us look inward. Not just what is their problem, but what is mine? What is my problem? What am I actually allowing to linger in my heart? See, there have been many stats thrown around when it comes to adultery, and they are staggering. Some of the things that I've found are a third of married men and women admit to at least one extramarital affair. That's one-third. Men and women over 40, half of husbands and wives admit to a form of sexual conduct with someone other than their spouse. 44% of men and 29% of women disapproved of having sex with someone they didn't love any longer, meaning love became the justification to have sex with someone else that they think they love, using love of self to dishonor and disobey the commands of God. See, within the church, the numbers aren't much different. In a church leadership magazine, so pastors and leaders of ministry, the poll came out that 12% of pastors admitted to adultery while in ministry, 23% admitted to an inappropriate sexual contact, out of, and then out of 1,000 subscribers of Christianity Today, so the body of believers are the people that subscribe to this magazine, the stats doubled. 23% admitted to adultery while in ministry, like Sunday school teachers or members of a local church. 45% admitted to inappropriate sexual conduct. And one of four men admitted to unfaithfulness. One of four. I know this is hit here in some of your stories, and it shouldn't shock us that it has. It shouldn't shock us. But it should make us question our heart motivation to the things we allow in our lives. And that's the challenge for us as a church today. So the outline this morning is defining adultery, progression of adultery, and answer to adultery out of our text this morning. The first one is defining adultery. And there's no better definition than what Jesus gives us. And you can see it in verse 27 and 28 on the screen. It says, You have heard that it was said... You shall not commit adultery. 
This again is the law passed down from the finger of God on the tablets that he gave Moses and passed down through generation to generation. You should not commit adultery. And this is what Jesus tightens up in verse 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Some theologians that I, that I read uh, through this week said this about the Pharisees when they came to this uh, text of Scripture, when they came to this message of Jesus, the Pharisees in their expositions of this command made it to extend to further than the act of adultery, suggesting that if the iniquity was only regarded in the heart and went no further, God could not hear it. He would not regard it. This is how they played it off. God is okay with this one, as long as it stays in the heart. See, I wonder if we think the same. There isn't one problem with this thought, though, but many. Jesus isn't bound by being only earshot away to know you. Many times in the Scripture, it tells us that he knows all things, even the thoughts of our mind and motivation of our hearts. And if you think you can deceive God like you deceive your wife or your husband or your kids or your spouse or or your neighbor, or your co-worker, you are gravely mistaken. See, First Chronicles 28.9 says this, As for you, my son Solomon, this is David speaking. Remember, the, remember David. David's been through this. He, he's, he's committed adultery and confessed it, and now he's warning his son. As for you, my son Solomon, Know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him. What an amazing, amazing promise. But there is also a sobering warning. David continues by saying, but if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Another passage in Psalm 44, 21 says, Would not God find this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. See, there are only two. These are only two of 20 plus passages that are all saying the same thing in the text of Scripture. Jesus has moved not only anger in his sermon, but now adultery as something that is birthed from the heart. And it is God that defines it. Not man. God defines it, not man. God only, not only defines it, he judges the heart behind each action, and our feeble attempts to justify our sin will not stand in the presence in the courtroom with a perfectly holy God. Like, if you think about the holiness of God and then try to explain off the things that you justify, yeah. It's hot, isn't it, sweetie pie? Yeah. See, standing before a holy God, those sins that you are holding and bearing in our hearts are going to be revealed, and it's much better, according to Scripture, to reveal them here now, confess them quickly. And that brings us to the second point, the progression of adultery. Matthew 5, 29 to 30 says, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than 
that your whole body go into hell. See, Jesus is not suggesting to actually cut out the eye or cut off your hand off to, that causes you to sin. But Jesus is trying to awaken his followers through the seriousness of sin. Like if you're sitting on the mountaintop with Jesus and he's preaching this sermon and he comes across this sentence and this is the first time you've ever heard this, you're going, what? Gouge my eye out? Cut my hand off? But the explanation here is so much deeper here. It's, not, it's, it's a removal of the sin. It's a removal of this thing that is tormenting you. It's, it's getting rid of this thing. It's kind of, kind of far away from, from who you are. It's not, this is not who I created you to be. But he's also talking about the body of the church, us, a congregation of believers gathered together. How are we doing? See, sin is like yeast, and it will spread to all the parts affecting all. So with matters of sin in your life, in your spouse's life, in your kid's life, in the life of the church, we are to remove it. And we're going to hit this a little bit more in a minute or two in point number three, but let's hit this point number two here. But what about the progression of it? What's the progression of this adultery that we might be warned against, allowing it to linger in our hearts are there stages of sin? Well, look at James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. It gives some more insight into the deception of sin and its progression. It says this, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own, his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So you have temptation. And the temptation is attacking your desires. And the desires are, are already in you. Like, no one put those in there. Those are your desires, your own desires, and they're being tempted upon, and you're allowing these desires to birth sin. And when it grows, it brings forth death. So we have temptation, we have desire, we have sin that is birthed, and then which leads to death. See, and I'm an author I'm currently listening to, Jeremy Treat, not just a cool name, but it's pretty cool, right? Says this about the progression of sin. It starts with guilt, moves to pollution, moves to pollution. Not to pollution outside, but polluting the soul. Then suffering is a form of warning and or consequence to the sin you might be indulging in. Then corruption, corruption of the heart. This is the hardening where you literally choose your sin over Jesus. And then bondage to Satan. That's the final stage. So guilt, pollution, suffering, corruption, bondage. See, a fitting story to see this played out is the story of Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. Many of you know this story, but just to give you a quick snapshot of this story, this, the land of Sodom and Gomorrah was a beautiful land. It was, it was sought after. People wanted to live there, similar to maybe downtown Vancouver or North Vancouver. It was a place that you wanted to be at. There's many things around you to cause great distraction. But sexuality was increased as it is in our culture today. Our culture today is sexualizing our kids, our children, in our school systems. It's everywhere. It's in our libraries. It's in our schools. It's, it's, it's on the bus stops. It's on the posters. It's It's everywhere. It's hard to ignore it on the magazines and the grocery store. It's hard to ignore the things that are around us continuously. 
It's much like Sodom and Gomorrah. And the story goes that angels came down to warn Lot and his family to leave the city because God was going to was going to bring fire from heaven to burn Sodom and Gomorrah up to a massive judgment upon this, these cities. And the angels came to give the warning and they were going to sleep in the park and Lot saw them and said, no, you can't sleep there. You must come into my house because you will be raped. This is how bad a God. You could not even sleep outside. So here's the passage that I want to take you to. In 2 Peter chapter 2, 7 and 8, it says this. And if God rescued righteous Lot, and here we're talking about, we get a little understanding of what was going on in Lot's heart. And if God rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, he's distressed, his heart is distressed on it. And then it goes further in chapter, or verse 8. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was, he was tormenting his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. You can't tell me that you live in North Vancouver and aren't affected by sexuality. You can't tell me you live on this world and aren't affected visually and what you hear. We are no different than Lot in a world that has gone wrong. See, e evil will torment you, desiring for you to give into it that you too might become hardened, that you might become a worthless salt land burned up by the fire of heaven as an example for all to not mess with the holy God. That's what Sodom and Gomorrah's story is all about. It's a warning to the rest of mankind and the rest of history is to look back on it that this is a salt land burned by God because he could not have this around any longer. See, the works of Satan have a progression to them as well. He tempts those desires that are within you. He can't place those desires in you. Those are from you and your sinful nature already. But he can tempt them. He understands what you're looking at. He understands what you're, what you're most important, what is most important to you. And he will tempt that in you. He will also deceive you. And he then, when you, when sin is birthed, he will accuse you and bring shame upon you. So there's a temptation. We see this in, in Genesis 3, 5, a deception in 3, 4, and an accusation in 3, 19. See, we are victims and violators. We cannot blame Satan, but are victims of his assaults on our fleshly desires. 1 John 3, 4 says it this way, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. See, we are victims and violators because it comes down to our choice to walk in lawlessness or walk in righteousness. And Paul, over and over in his letters, and especially in the book of Romans, is said, walk in the spirit. Do not walk in the flesh. Walk in the spirit. Walk in the kingdom of God, not in the kingdom of self. This is our call over and over and over in the scripture. And here again, Jesus is standing on or sitting on the mount. Disciples surrounded him, thousands of people there listening to the sermon. And he's saying the same thing in a different way. See, this is judicial language and something we have to take seriously. Bondage to Satan is because you are at enmity to God. 
When you sin, it is because there is something fractured and broken between you and the Lord. The enmity towards God is because you have rebelled against his law and you are not willing, hear me on this, you're not willing to repent of it. You're okay to bury it. You're okay just to go, you know what? God doesn't see this portion of my heart. See, God's wrath remains on every unregenerate person and this truth ought to lead us to a greater degree of confession. One theologian wrote, humans are the responsible author and the poor victim of sin. See, there's a progression of sin and adultery. How are we to deal with it? Well, according to our text this morning is to cut it off. This is my last and third point. The answer to adultery, cut it off, divorce it, divorce it. No longer be united to it, and if you are at all attracted to it, run. Matthew 5, 29 to 30, again, you can see the highlights on there is tear it out and throw it away, cut it off and throw it away. I've read this part already in the last point. Let's skip down to the 31 and 32. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So how is marriage tied to adultery and the cutting away of the eye and the hand? Well, I find it very interesting, maybe you do as well, that Jesus' sermon had these sentences side by side. I cannot imagine this to be a coincidence. So you have the cutting away of an evil part of your body so the entirety of you might not enter into hell. The cutting away of a dead flesh isn't uncommon through the scripture. We see it when it comes to disease. Cut it away of the dead skin and throw it away. We see this in circumcision, cutting away the flesh for purity's sake. And now in the New Testament, we see the circumcision of the heart, the cutting away of the brokenness of our heart that we might circumcise the heart in light of Jesus. See, marriage is meant for unity for life, which we've preached on already a few weeks ago, but when one of the members of the union becomes dead, unrepentant, the cutting away for the sake of health for the living member is allowed in this text of Scripture. And this might be the very tie between adultery and the hand or eye. See, if a member of your body, now talking corporately as the church, because the church is so tied in with marriage, if a member of your body is corrupting another member, then it is to be removed for the sake of unity amongst the others. And like I said earlier, not to be sought after. We are not to to marry a divorced woman. We are not to seek after unrepentant flesh and be united to it. We're not even to run after it. Not to allow your eyes to be attracted to it, that I might seek this more. And it might be better for my life if I was married to that one. Jesus is saying, run from this temptation. Run from this desire. For those that are unrepentant are... are, uh, are shown in 2 Timothy 3, 2 through 5. It gives us a little bit of a snapshot of what they're like, what their heart is like anyways. And it says this, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. And we see this on social media, don't we? Lovers of self. I heard one, one uh, comedian say, I'm taking a lonely. 
I thought that was awesome. Taking a lonely instead of a selfie. For people to be lovers of their self, taking lonelies everywhere. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then this one is crazy, having the appearance of godliness. So this could be people within the church, but denying its power. And it says to avoid such people. Do not associate with them. Do not partner with them. But friends, in this, this is a hard text to, to unpack in 30 to 40 minutes, but it's, we do not, we, need, we also need to be careful when we come to texts like this to become pharisaical, to become like the Pharisees, all law and no grace. What I mean is we must be quick to forgive and like last week, aim for reconciliation. That ought to be our goal. We ought not cast away a healthy part of the body or a part of the body that is repentant and desires restoration with a godly sorrow. We ought to restore that one. Just like David was restored. See, so the answer to adultery is cut it off. Remove any temptation, not allowing it to linger, but rule over it rather than allowing it to rule over you. Pornography and adultery has no place within the Christian home. Has no place. And I know you all know this, but I'm saying this for good reason. I'm not just saying these things for filling up a sermon. I've done a lot of counseling and I have counseled men that have been so blinded to this, so blinded to this, that they brought in pornography to their marriage that they might spice up their intimacy. And they talked their Christian wife into it. I've counseled men that have gone to strip clubs, used massage parlors, phone sex, and prostitution as if it were nothing The reason it was nothing is because they allowed their soul to be tormented, slow burn, just like that candle, to the point where they got to the point where it was like, it was like a little white lie. We are to cut it off. See, God deals, God deals with, let me finish that story before I move on. See, those things that were made like nothing, the beauty is, and the answer to adultery is, like I said, is cut it off and, and throw it away. So you repent of your sin and embrace life. See, some of those men that I counseled did this. And man, it was hard, like sweating hard. Like they knew that what they were doing was wrong and they were so convicted that they couldn't hold it in any longer. And it was years of this. And they went and confessed to their wife and their family. And it was incredibly difficult to, to, to see, but beautiful to watch. See, they live in freedom now that they thought would never be possible to have again. And their wives, godly women, that remained and fought for reconciliation, they defeated by the power of God, Satan, and his attempts to kill and destroy their families. They stood up 
and praise God through that hardship. See, God deals with the accusation. Remember I said Satan comes at us and he tempts us, right? He brings deception, then he brings accusation. God flips those things. And he he goes to the accusation instantly, shutting Satan's mouth through the cross of Christ. He stops it instantly by taking all of our sin, all of the penalty of what we have done and nailing it to the cross and going, now what are you going to say? I exchange my righteousness for their sin. I bestow upon my righteousness onto my people that my, I, and I would pay for their sin. It's the beautiful exchange of the gospel, the great substitution that takes place. So Satan's accusations now have no, nothing on them, nothing on us, for the grace of God is so good when we confess our sin. God deals with the deception with truth, and God deals with the temptation. Jesus brings that perfect shalom. The peace of Christ satisfies all desire. And some of you have experienced this. Some of you have lived this out. When you, when you have the peace of Jesus and those temptations come, it's just like water off of a duck's back. It's like it doesn't even affect you anymore. It used to have a grip on you. But now it's just like, oh my goodness, try something else, Satan. That's easy. But with a focus on Jesus Christ because I know more is going to come. Because I know more challenges are going to come. I know more pain is going to come and more suffering is going to come and more persecution because this is exactly what Jesus said in his intro. You will be persecuted. You will be tried. You will, your desires will be enlightened and, I'm going to go out and Satan will go after those. And if you can read, go back into Matthew 5, you can see again how important all these paragraphs after this intro continue to point back in Matthew 5, 6, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Man, church, I want to be like that. I want that. See, to be on Team Jesus, it requires a surrender to the sacrificial life of the sacrificial death and the sacrificial resurrection of Jesus for your sin that you might have life to the full. And it says clearly in Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord now. I want to surrender to him. I want to follow him with all of my body, my heart, my soul, my strength. And I I believe that he is God. I want to surrender to him. Then it says, the next line is that you will be saved. The grace of God is incredible. In Romans 5, 20, one of my favorite verses, it says, as sin increases, grace increases all the more. So good. So we need to be careful of being the Pharisee and just pointing at other people's sin rather than we need to point at our heart, what do I need to confess? What are the things that I need to purge out of my system that I might walk in holiness? And this is hard. We live in a Sodom and Gomorrah state here. Let's be light. 
Let's be salty. Let's live for Jesus. Let's surrender to him today. I read uh, before we prayed this morning at 915, Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. It says this, and I think it's fitting for our text this morning. The law of the Lord, which we're talking about the law of the Lord, it says the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you bring conviction on our heart that we might surrender to you again, that we might confess our sin before you and before others, that we might be saved, that we might be cleansed. We thank you. We look back on that, that amazing text in 1 John 1, 9, which we covered months and months ago, where it says, if you confess your sin, you, Jesus, are faithful and good and righteous and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. You'll cleanse our sin from all from us, pure, we'll be, we'll be pure. You'll, other parts of scripture is like, it'll, you'll, it'll be far as the east is from the west. There's no measurement how far away it is. So Lord, help us be quick to confess, to live in the freedom that we've been given by you, Jesus. And when sinned against, that we would be quick to forgive. Like those amazing women in the story I've told. Lord, help us as a church purge the evil out of us that we might walk holy and pure, loving you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.